Ever wonder what all the ketamine talk is actually all about? You're going to want to listen really closely to today's show. So welcome back to another episode of Living a Nutritious Life. In today's episode, I'm joined by an old friend, the brilliant Dr. Mike Dow. We have an insightful conversation about a fascinating subject that may seem woo-woo to some, but holds profound potential for spiritual growth and healing, ketamine therapy. Mike delves into the power of ketamine, the power of it in breaking down ego walls and defense mechanisms, and how it may lead to significant realizations about identity and purpose in life. Dr. Mike Dow is the perfect person to have this convo with. He holds many titles, psychotherapist, New York Times bestselling author, brain and mental health expert, functional nutritionist, epigenetic counselor, and has been called America's go-to therapist. Also, Mike's latest book, The Ketamine Breakthrough, has become the go-to handbook for ketamine-assisted psychotherapy. Today, he discusses his training with a renowned psychiatrist in a ketamine protocol that combines psychotherapy and meditation to access the subconscious. We learn how ketamine may reduce inflammation in the brain, boost the growth of brain cells, and improve mood by affecting neurotransmitters like dopamine, serotonin, and GABA. Mike also shares his personal journey towards living a nutritious life, making mindful eating choices that consider the impact on mankind and the planet. We also explore the groundbreaking applications of ketamine therapy in treating depression, eating disorders, addiction, and food addiction. We dive into the remarkable results of studies and the potential of ketamine as a root cause-oriented approach that targets multiple aspects of well-being simultaneously. One of my favorite topics to discuss with Mike, we also cover today, and that is brain fog and its detrimental impact on cognitive function and overall well-being. We go through the factors that contribute to brain fog, and Mike offers strategies to combat it. So get ready to expand your knowledge on optimizing brain health and living a nutritious life with Dr. Mike Dow today. Let's go. And if you'd like to support the show, please leave a comment on YouTube and a review on iTunes or Spotify. Dow, the amazing, famous, incredible, <laughs> one and only Dr. Mike Dow. I am so beyond thrilled to be chatting with you today. Oh, I'm so happy to be reunited with you, old friend. I know. By the way, I was actually thinking about this before um, knowing that I was going to be speaking with you today. Was the first time we met, was it during that chemistry test for that show, that NBC show that never happened? Yeah. But was that our was that our first time meeting? That was our very first meeting because that was my first year in television. So I know that that was the first time we met. Okay. You, I think you uh, were in TV maybe a few years before that, but that was my first year. And uh, man, had that show gone, I feel like it would have been me and you co-hosting. Uh, me and you against the world. Yeah. <laughs> I know that's already that was by the way, I think that was 2009 or 10. Yeah. I mean, that was a really long time ago. Anyway, so funny. I was I was thinking back. Anyway, so it has been amazing knowing you throughout these years. Uh, so yeah. incredible to reconnect right now. Yep. You have done so many incredible things. I want to dive in today starting with a topic that I know you know so much about because I know you've written multiple books on. Um, let's get into brain fog. Yeah. I would love to know how you describe brain fog because so many people walk around saying, including myself sometimes, oh, I'm so foggy. I'm so fuzzy. 
I can't remember anything. You know, I just don't feel like myself. I'm walking around spaced out. How do you define brain fog? Brain fog, and actually it's really interesting during and after COVID, when people get COVID or when they have some sort of symptom of long COVID, they tend to look for brain fog because it is the most common symptom. Um, so it's really interesting is it's come back into the, into the zeitgeist again. So I would define brain fog as just not feeling like yourself. So we all know what it's like to have an optimally functioning brain. Your neurotransmitters are at a good level. Uh, Your brain is not shrinking uh, with a Western diet. Hopefully you're supporting your brain uh, with the foods that we know can help to maintain brain volume, um, less pro-inflammatory omega-6s, more anti-inflammatory omega-3s, really giving your brain challenges, right? Because... uh, because neurons that fire together, wire together, and you know, like any other muscle, like your biceps, if you just don't use it, it atrophies. So if you can use it, you can improve it, you can change it. So if you are, because the brain is our most complex organ, we've got to mine the neurotransmitters, we've got to mine the inflammation, we've got to mine uh, the new connections, we've got to challenge the brain each and every day. And when there's something like an infection, or aging, or Western diet, um, all of those factors can contribute to uh, brain fog. I know, you know, you, the pillars that you talk about all the time, sleep, managing stress, all of them sort of synergistically add up. And I know you know this, when it comes to health, one plus one doesn't equal two, it often will equal five, and one plus one plus yes. one is 25. So when yes. you can sort of combine these pillars together, you can have synergistic health, But when one or more of these things is going wrong on the other side of that coin, sometimes people can experience some really debilitating brain fog. And it goes all the way down. You and I uh, were just talking about the health of our mitochondria and our cells. And we support our cellular energy um, and really help those cells to reproduce and uh, do things like increasing BDNF, brain-derived neurotrophic factor in the brain, uh, to help the brain grow with things like intermittent fasting, all these wonderful, and ketamine, uh, and what, these wonderful supportive practices that we all know. So a very long yeah. answer, but brain fog is encompassing all those No, it's, it's fascinating. And I love how you just said how it's all interconnected because you know, I love that language. And I talk about how all the pillars of a nutritious life are connected physiologically and behaviorally. And I love how you just tied that in, even as it, as it relates to the brain and specifically to brain health. Um, you, you just, you mentioned, uh, the brain shrinking. Can you talk about that a little bit though? Like what would someone do? And I, and I, I think I know some of what you're going to answer with, but can you share with everyone what, would someone do on a daily basis that they don't even realize they're doing that is shrinking their brain? Let's go from morning to night. So first of all, you wake up at 5 a.m. You've only gotten four or five hours sleep. You ate really late the night before. Your heart rate variability stayed very low all night. And then you wake up, you're not rested. That is shrinking your brain. Uh, you go to a job you don't love. Your boss is uh, mean to you. Uh, you're miserable there. Your stress levels are high. That shrinks your brain. To deal with that stress and because sleep affects leptin and ghrelin and all these hormones that uh, signal signal hunger and fullness, you're going to eat that bagel with that cream cheese, with that uh, sugary coffee beverage, all of those blood sugar spikes, they really, really shrink your brain. Um, Not 
you let's say you take that same walk, that same path to work every single day. You don't vary anything in your life. You're not challenging yourself with novel experiences, giving your uh, brain uh, the same thing over and over again. So it's not um, challenged in any way that will right. uh, contribute to brain shrinkage. So the primary site of neurogenesis and also brain shrinkage where we lose the most volume is the hippocampus. And we know from a long-term, and you and I know in, in research uh, in food, it's very hard to do food studies because how do we know right. exactly what somebody is putting into their mouth uh, day in and day out? So they did this long-term study with these brain scans. And then they, you know, over the course of years, they really did a, a thorough assessment of what they were eating. And they found that, yes, as is the hook in my book, The, the Sugar Brain Fix, sugar Blood sugar yeah. spiking foods and those pro-inflammatory foods like those factory farmed um, meats, those burgers, those industrial oils, um, those soybean oil um, is probably the most prevalent. Those foods are really shrinking your brain. And then on the other side of that spectrum, that healthful diet, that Mediterranean or that uh, whatever that eating pattern is that includes, you know, whether you're vegan and you're getting the omega-3s from walnuts or chia seeds or you're eating a, a, a plant-based diet with a little bit of meat or Mediterranean diet, you're really taming the inflammation, giving your brain what it needs, and that can prime the brain. Then when you pair that healthy diet with new novel experiences, it really helps to make new brain cells, which is really exciting. And it really is incredible what the diet can do for you and what the diet can do for your brain. And that's really, you know, when I talk about eating empowered, it all comes from this place of eating for, you know, what, what are, what is this food doing for me? And like, when you're talking about that, these foods that are helping the brain and, you know, creating neurogenesis, it's like, it's, it's all about what are foods doing for me? How is this working for me? How is this helping me? Not what, you know, a food working against me. And so many of those foods that you just mentioned, the inflammatory foods, you know, the highly processed packaged foods, fried foods, sugary foods, they're really working against you. So I always talk about, you know, when it comes to eating in people, especially when they change their lifestyle and their diet, they always think, okay, I can't have that anymore. I can't have that anymore. And you know, I always say, you know, you can have this and you can have this because it should come from this positive place of I can have this food. I can eat these blueberries that are not only going to be good for my skin and my brain and my heart health. Oh, a byproduct might be weight loss if I have the blueberries instead of, you know, a sleeve of chocolate chip cookies. But it's really, it's coming from a place of these blueberries are working for me. And when you really think about how foods can work for you in your, you know, again, from brain health to heart health to everything, it's really, um, it's incredible. And it's coming from a different part of the mind, you know, and how I would sort of pair that and label that through the lens of psychotherapy. You know, I think if we can eat from this higher self and if our higher inner mother, inner father, I'm going to get a little woo-woo here, uh, our inner Get woo-woo, get woo-woo. I like it. Father figure that I often will have patients, you know, visualize this as sort of this white connected light above you. You know, when do you know that part of you is making your decisions or telling you something? And that higher self is usually wanting to eat the blueberry versus, you know, the inner critic or this self-medicating part of our personality, of our ego will often say, you're in pain. You need those fried foods. You need that packaged food. You need to feel good. And if we can kind of then pair, you know, everything that you do and everything that I do, it's so interesting. Right. How it's so nicely together. 
Absolutely. And that's why I always start with someone, you know, with changing the mindset first, because when you can change the mindset, which you know more about than I do, but when you change that mindset, everything else is so much easier to put into action. The why before the what, right? So a lot of people, obviously, anybody eating uh, fast food, supersized combos knows that they are doing something bad for them, right? They know that if you're smoking cigarette, you know that that is not good for you. Um, So I think strategies, the the what, they are helpful if you can help people find find things that are good for them that they also simultaneously like. But for me, and you know, what you just said about starting with the mindset, I think starting with the, you know, why, well, why do I have that craving in the first place? What is the trauma? What is the limiting belief? What is the irrational negative thought? How do I use catastrophic thinking or personalization where I blame myself for anything or this rumination in the mind? What is the relationship between, you know, the way that I feel and what I'm going to eat? And when you can really illuminate that for people, it starts to feel easy and and doable and something maybe they want to do. Right. Exactly. And something that is as I always like to say, one of my favorite words, which is empowering. It's empowering versus feeling like you're depriving yourself and you're forcing yourself to do something. Yeah. You're doing it from such a different place. I love I love that. And I know you do a lot of great work there with your patients. So um, thank you for all of that. So before we move on from brain fog, because we just started to touch on um, – I was about to dive into food addiction, but I'm going to pause for a moment because I do want to dive a little bit deeper into brain fog for a moment. So um, aside from eating certain foods, managing your stress, getting adequate sleep, challenging your brain with things, you know, like crossword puzzles and all kinds of things, um, what else do you recommend patients do when they really are just feeling that brain foggy off? One of the strategies in the brain fog fix is using behavioral replacement therapy. So I think if we can actually trade our behaviors and realize that if fatty foods release surges of dopamine in the brain and very sugary and very carby foods, those processed carbs release serotonin. And then we say, oh, okay, well, these are the exciting new novel activities in my life that also release dopamine. These are the soothing, comforting, anxiety relieving activities that can release serotonin in the brain. If we can start by what we're adding to our life in our daily life, a hobby and activity, something that we want to do, then it becomes far easier, right? So it's not just about treating this food for that food. That's a piece of it, but it's also how can I support my neurochemistry my optimal levels of serotonin and dopamine with what I'm doing. And then, you know, also a next level approach, you know, how can I support my, everybody's talking about mitochondria, everybody's talking about gut health. If 90% of our serotonin, 50% of our dopamine is made in our gut, how can the prebiotics and probiotics uh, allow my body and that good gut health moving away from this dysbiosis where there's too many bad guys and good guys, how can that also feed my gut so that I'm not in this sort of slow and sustained way? So all of these foods, these fibrous foods, these probiotic rich foods are then making slowly, not in a, you know, uh, not, not the hit that you're going to get right. piece of candy, sort of surging serotonin or dopamine in the brain. If I can get that serotonin and dopamine low and slow with activities, with the healthier foods, eventually it, it, you know, I kind of compare it to a nicotine patch for a smoker. You're getting the same chemical in a different way. 
Um, so I, I really focus on some of these behavioral strategies. I really love that. Um, and obviously, you know, I talk a lot about gut health and all of that as well. And I, and I love though, how you incorporated the activities, but not just activities. Oh, this activity that makes you happy. That's going to, you know, that's going to bring you enjoyment and all those things we know are important for various reasons, but I love how you're connecting it specifically to that activity that you really enjoy. That's going to give you a little bit of that dopamine, you know, like you're really connecting it specifically to brain health and that is working together with what you're doing for your gut health, managing your stress, managing your, you know, improving your sleep and all of that. That's incredible. I love that, um, you know, that full circle approach there. Really, really great stuff there. Okay. Let's move into a little bit um, addiction. Let's talk about food addiction. So I always admired your approach and your thoughts on food addiction because to me, I think you were one of the first people that flat out said food is addicting. And, you know, there are so many studies out there says it's not technically addicting. It acts similarly to addictive like substances, but it's not actually addicting. And I think, and maybe, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, you were to me the first one that really said, no, food is addicting. And I know there was that study somewhat recently that talked about highly processed foods and how when they compared highly processed foods to the criteria that they used to confirm that cigarette smoking was addicting, mm-hmm. it, it met that same exact criteria. And that yeah. was somewhat recent. That was way after you had said, you know, uh, food is, can be addicting. So anyway, talk to me about that. And I'd, I'd love to hear about that. It was controversial when I said it, right? So when I was hosting that yeah. show, Freaky Eaters, people would come at me and they would say, that's not really an addiction though, right? And I would say, you know, what are the hallmarks of addiction? We have tolerance, right. needing more and more of the same substance to give you the same result. And we have withdrawal. So what happens when people go cold turkey from that um, fast food, everyday food, do they feel irritable? Do they have mood symptoms? Yeah, they, they really do. And once you start eating these foods, do we also see tolerance? Do we see people who tend to eat that way? Do they tend to eat more and more that way as time goes on? Yeah, they do. And are there, are there these emotional underpinnings that whether they're a part of AA, NA, or Food Addicts Anonymous, the feeling of being, um, powerless against that drug of choice. And for some people, it's heroin. For other people, it's food. And it's a process addiction. So it's not using, uh, even though I really do view food as a drug. And when you look at the way foods, especially these unhealthy foods, flood the pleasure centers of the brain with dopamine Mm -hmm. in the same way that cocaine would, it's really setting and priming uh, the brain, your lifestyle, everything you're doing up for addiction. And it's hard because food is everywhere. You know, a heroin addict doesn't have to um, be confronted with heroin breakfast, lunch, and dinner. But when you're addicted to food, and many of us are, I would say most Americans um, are addicted to food. um, It's really, really hard to step away. Right. We have to have a relationship with food. And, 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 you know, if you're an alcoholic and you're, you know, you break ties with alcohol. I'm not saying, and this is not my expertise either, but I'm not saying that that is not difficult. And I know it's a challenge every single day. People would probably say every second of their life to make the choice not to drink. However, there is a, there is, 
it's a different relationship. You can cut that relationship completely. And with food, you have to have a relationship with food. And you should have a relationship and you want to have a relationship with food. That's a shift. It's moving away from this black or white, yes or no, to, oh, it's so gray area. And that can be really challenging for people. Very difficult for people, especially people that have sort of lived in that world of black and white eating, on or off, all or nothing, good or bad. Um, it can be very, very difficult. So how do you determine if someone is addicted to food? I'm sure you have lots of patients that come in and say, oh, I'm addicted to food. I'm addicted to candy. I'm addicted to cookies. I'm addicted to bread. I'm sure you have a lot of people that say that. How do you actually determine if you think someone is truly addicted? And then what is your process for helping someone to break that addiction while still having a relationship with food? Yeah. So within five minutes of talking to somebody and really just listening to their story and their relationship, when I hear these themes, powerlessness, feeling totally out of control, um, just feeling very angry or guilty, self-loathing, just really feeling like they need it to get through the day. If they don't have it, do they get irritable, right? So I'm just replacing some of the assessment tools, you know, in assessing for alcoholism, you know, you say, have you ever felt like you needed to cut back on this? I'm sure most people would say, yeah, I probably need to cut back on those fried foods. I need to cut back on those sodas if I'm addicted. Have you ever felt angry or annoyed when somebody else said, hey, maybe you should do something about that? Mm -hmm. Most people who are overweight or who are addicted to food or have some sort of disordered eating, they felt really bad when other people bring it up. Uh, Do you feel guilty about it? And most people with food addiction feel guilty. Um, And do you need an eye opener? So, you know, with alcohol, it's drinking in the morning. In food addicts, it's sort of uh, engaging in unhealthy behavior first thing in the morning. And sometimes it's back on that roller coaster of restricting and purging because you felt so bad about what we binged about the night before. For other people, it's just addictive foods all day long. Um, So you can kind of see the the emotional relationship, whether it's food or alcohol, it's the same. Um, Right. In terms of how do you support somebody? It's really getting down to the root. So I go really, really deep with my patients and I really help them to understand what pain, what shame, what in your life? Is it childhood trauma? Is it the way you feel about your body? The things that you've been telling yourself since you were 16 years old, what is your root? Because we all have one. And if we can find that root and embody a sense of curiosity, but also compassion and really allowing this inner healer to come out and say, well, this is what you really need to do to target that root. You know, a lot of people in the functional medicine space, they talk about the root causes of, you know, they're going to gut health before they're going to consider like an SSRI antidepressant, right? Because we know that serotonin comes from the gut. Uh, In the same way, there is a functional approach, a root cause oriented approach to your emotional patterns, the things in your life. Oh, wow. This is so good. Right. And if you can actually find the root and for some people, it's big T trauma, it's sexual, physical abuse, neglect. For other people, it's these small T traumas, these divorces, the stress, this transition and the way that you felt about yourself at that time, still feeling like that 16 year old high school girl being shunned by the popular girls and going to food that first time. And then your brain creates this association where it is paired this emotional experience of not feeling accepted and good enough and cool enough and pretty enough with medicating that with food. And if you can actually go back and that's what I help people do with 
deep psychotherapy with ketamine, uh, it can actually, you know, I know what, what does ketamine assisted psychotherapy and, and, uh, nutritious life, how do those go together? Well, they do because for so many people, especially people who have a lot of disordered eating, there is 99% of the time, some really, really deep trauma that needs to be unearthed and processed and treated and held and healed so that all the things we see at the surface in terms of, you know, what kinds of foods are you choosing on a daily basis that you can do that, right? Because otherwise it just feels shallow. It just feels like something maybe you can do for a week, but if you don't target the root, it will not change for the long term. I want to take a moment to tell you about our podcast sponsor, which I'm a super fan of. In today's fast-paced go-go-go world, it's so easy to get overwhelmed and lose focus, especially when you're trying to accomplish critical tasks that require a sharp mind. If you're looking for a way to support your brain health and stay on top of your game, if you know me at all, you know I'm always looking to do that, well then, you want to know about Cognizant Citicoline. This nutrient helps support brain function and it plays a vital role in nourishing and protecting brain cells. Cognizant Citicoline can help support focus, memory, and attention, promote cognitive performance, and support overall brain health. It's also known for its ability to support brain energy and is backed by numerous studies that show its effectiveness. Whether you're a student, a busy professional, a multitasking parent, or anyone looking to optimize mental clarity and sharpness, adding Cognizant Citicoline to your daily routine can help you achieve those goals and support your brain for the future. It can be found in many different products, including chewables, gummies, beverages, and even cold brew coffee. Visit Cognizant.com for exactly where to find this ingredient, and don't forget to look for Cognizant on the label. What kinds of foods are you choosing on a daily basis that you can do that, right? Because otherwise, it just feels shallow. It just feels like something maybe you can do for a week, but if you don't... right target the root, it will not change for the long term. Absolutely. And you get so deep in that with ketamine. So let's dive right into ketamine. <laughs> you obviously just wrote the book also, The Ketamine Breakthrough. So for all of you listeners, um, you should definitely check out uh, Mike's book, Dr. Mike's book, The Ketamine Breakthrough. Um, but why don't you tell us, actually, you know what? I'm, I should have asked you at the very beginning and I didn't um, because I know your background, but- yeah. Can you share just your story a little bit? Um, maybe just dive in like how you even got into this field and then now how you ended up, obviously you wrote the books, The Sugar Fix, The Brain Fix, The Brain Fog Fix. Anyway, um, at, and now you wrote The Ketamine Breakthrough. Like how did you go from A to B? Like how did you get from here, from where you started to the ketamine, to doing ketamine and doing all of this and tell us about it? Yeah. What a, what a great, incredible ride it's been, you know? So back in the day, you know, all the way back to high school, um, my brother suffered a massive stroke when he was just 10 years old. Um, I spent a lot of my high school in pediatric hospitals with him. His recovery was long. It was difficult on my family. Um, but I also saw the brain's power to heal. So I had this seed of compassion planted in my heart. And I also saw my brother overcome uh, what doctors told him was impossible. They said he would never live an independent life, that his stroke was so bad. One doctor said, well, you should probably just put him in a nursing home for the rest of his life. 
So I saw my brother's recovery and I just remember thinking, wow, there's something miraculous about the brain. Um, And Mm -hmm. that really planted the seed for me to become a psychotherapist. I have a a master's in marriage and family therapy, a PsyD, a doctorate in psychology, a a PhD in in sexology. I also do a lot of sex therapy. Um, And then people really knew me from my first book, Diet Rehab, and my TLC show, Freaky Eaters, where I was the guy who was targeting the strange food addictions. And if somebody's addicted to eating toilet paper, well, let's have Dr. Mike on the talk show and Kara would be in the next segment on, on these shows. <laughs> talking about we'd, go, we'd go right into pica. <laughs> totally. And sometimes we do segments together. Um, and I still do a lot of that. So I, I still work uh, with uh, disordered eating and I treat a lot of binge eating disorder and, you know, some strange or unique presentations because you Mm -hmm. and I know that eventually there are people who don't fit into these neat little tidy boxes of like, oh, well, I have binge eating disorder. Sometimes you have these other disorders or other syndromes or trauma that's related to OCD and control. And then the OCD gets manifested in how you eat. So it really, as you untangle this, um, it becomes very complex. So Cut to me four years ago, and I, you know, because I write so many books on brain health, I just kept seeing the research, you know, uh, coming out of the most prestigious university hospitals, Johns Hopkins, New York Times articles on psychedelic assisted psychotherapy, what it does for the brain. So, of course, I had no choice but to research it. And then I got, and my training in ketamine assisted psychotherapy was mostly experiential. So, for a week, we take turns taking the medicine and being the quote, patient, and then uh, being the person's therapist and guiding them through that experience. Wait, you say we, who's we? Uh, it was a group of 30 physicians, so okay. Okay. therapists, PhDs, so all these doctors are sitting in a room taking ketamine together for a week. Okay, no, I wanted to clarify. That's what I what I thought you were saying, but I'm yeah. like, I got to make sure I'm understanding the we here. Yeah. <laughs> okay, well, okay. I'm in this training, um, this uh, renowned psychiatrist who really started to train all the practitioners in the U.S. to use this protocol. And Carrie, I was just blown away. I was blown away by how quickly it kind of felt like five years of psychotherapy and meditation put together and just taking you back to going back to that root and these moments. And it's almost like it just opens the door to your subconscious and that part of you that knows exactly what needs to change. And it takes the defenses of the ego that, sure, I can chip away with psychotherapy at those defenses, but sometimes it takes me a long time and the person has to be ready to do it. And people just want that change or they need that change, right? It's literally killing them eating these addictive foods day in or day out and they can't do it. They can't change. They've tried this med. They've tried that med. They've tried this eating program. They've tried this and nothing is working. And for people with very severe depression, very severe anxiety, very severe trauma, um, Ketamine is really like functional medicine uh, preaches that root cause approach. What I love about ketamine, this is what ketamine does in the brain. This is why it works. Number one, it reduces inflammation in the brain, like healthy eating. Number two, it boosts levels of BDNF, brain-derived neurotrophic factor, which is miracle grow for the brain so that all those brain cells you and I were talking about in the hippocampus, they can start to grow more quickly. So you're reversing the atrophy from the trauma or the unhealthy eating, which is a root cause of the depression. Mm-hmm. Um, it lifts 
all your neurotransmitters. So it lifts dope, all, all the feel-good ones. It lifts levels of dopamine, of serotonin, of GABA, all at the same time by targeting this excitatory neurotransmitter, glutamate. And it really enhances the connectivity. Um, so you have these spiritual, mystical experiences because it's turning off the default mode network. The default mode network is what your brain defaults to when you're not doing anything, when you're not involved in, you know, typing an email, you're just sitting alone with your thoughts. It's associated with your ego and everything is about me, 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 right? And people who have a very overactive default mode network, they tend to ruminate and worry and get caught in these catastrophic intrusive thoughts. So ketamine teaches that person how it feels when that part of your brain has not taken over. It really allows these other parts of ourself, a higher self to come in so that when the ego is trying to, def to defend itself or self-medicate with food or defense mechanisms, it allows some space for some higher part of us that has always been there, maybe in the background. And it also helps people, Carrie, I think a lot of people misidentify if they are a food addict, that the addict mm -hmm. is them. So yes, if you go to a 12-step meeting, you will identify as a food addict, but that part of your ego is not the fullness of who you are. And when you make that shift, it's very spiritual, it's very meta, but now you're targeting right. the bio, the psycho, the social, the spiritual, these four quadrants of whole person-centered care, which is why it has been shown to be effective in both depression and also eating disorders, um, addiction, including food addiction, and the results are just remarkable. You know, um, in addictive substances, um, there is an, an early study where I'm, I'm going to ballpark this, but it's it's in my book. If you want the exact figures, um, alcoholics were treated with ketamine assisted therapy. And I think it was around 70 percent of them in the ketamine group were sober one year later versus 25 percent of the control group. So with addictive behaviors, it's it's almost like pressing a reset button in the brain. It really allows your brain to look at everything in your life so that those neural pathways of disordered eating, of addictive eating, it, it kind of can help your brain to erase it or at least say, hey, there's this whole new path that wasn't available to you over here. And the way the brain is connecting in new ways kind of makes that feel a lot more possible. Um, so because of all those reasons and all of those root cause oriented approaches and how it targets all of them simultaneously, it's why the outcomes are so much better than the old tried and true, uh, tried and true SSRIs or SNRIs, these prescription antidepressants. And for a lot of people who don't want to take those meds, who can't tolerate the side effects, including weight gain, um, mm -hmm. I mean, doesn't have any of those side effects. So it's, it's really this remarkable protocol that has just blown my mind. It kind of sounds miraculous the way you're talking about it, but I'm getting this vision of the way you're describing it. It's almost like to me, I'm thinking of people that have just walls up or blocks to certain yeah. things they haven't been able to, to break through. It's like knocking down walls yes. in their brain to just exactly. open up their world to all these other possibilities. That's exactly what it's doing. And sometimes it gets very woo-woo, you know? So I'm not here to tell you what to believe, but when right. someone says my late mother came to me and she told me she wanted me to live a long and healthy life and that I could do this, you know, it's not my job to tell you if her mother's spirit was actually in the room, but there are some very profound spiritual moments for people, especially in the higher dose work. You don't have to do high dose work. Um, we can start with low dose ketamine. There's a, a wide range. 
but it tends to be in the low doses, exactly what you said, breaking down the walls of the ego, the defense right. mechanisms. At higher doses, sometimes people have these grand aha moments of who am I? Like, what does it mean to be Mike or to be Carrie? Or, you know, what do I want in this world? What's the true purpose? And people tend to step away from egocentric behaviors of needing to look a certain way and creating value for themselves primarily uh, with these sort of materialistic or vapid or shallow ways. And they, they really get deep. And I think that deep work or just building more purpose into your life is what helps people in the long term eat more healthfully. You know, I even some of my eating choices personally are because I know that they're better for all mankind and the planet and animals. So I know that sugar fuels deforestation and that fuels global warming. And that may, means that more people are not eating and more animals and human beings are starving. So I try to really as best I can, make sugar a very, very occasional treat, not an everyday like most Americans eat it. Right. It's understanding your why. And your why doesn't have to be the same as anyone else's, but it's what's your why. Yeah. The why right, is- doing things. Why. Can you, you just talked a little bit about the process there of, of higher doses and lower doses and all that. Can you actually explain if someone was interested in doing ketamine uh, therapy right now, like what does that process look like? It's quite an intensive protocol. I'm not promising. I, I know we sort of talked about all the miraculous effects in the brain. It's not uh, an easy protocol. It's, it will open you up. It will allow you to look at the things that have probably been um, with you your whole life. So it starts with uh, what we call the preparation session. So that's a therapy session with me the day before. Then you have your first two hour therapy session where I'm in the room with you um, uh, one of my nurse practitioners will come in, inject you with a little bit of uh, ketamine in your shoulder, just a small needle. And then we're doing therapy um, in that space, especially at the lower doses. It lasts about two hours. There's music. We're uh, processing things that come up. Um, we're going to do about six ketamine sessions over the course of 30 days or so for severe depression for people who have some really hard patterns to change. We're going to do some therapy sessions in between. So you can kind of see it's combining the, the psychotherapy with the medicine. Um, you start generally with about six ketamine sessions within 30 days. And then this is the beauty for people who don't want to take a daily medication. Um, then we move them to booster dosing. So yes, it's very time and cost intensive for the first 30 days. But then we just need usually on average, like one ketamine dose every three months to keep the effects going in the brain, all of the, you know, the neuroplasticity, the, the, mm -hmm. the neurotransmitters. So now people can come to me for a session four times a year and get better effects, uh, according to research than taking an SSRI on a daily basis, which. Wow. That's incredible. So I have a question because obviously you're a huge fan of this and you've seen it work um, in incredible ways with so many patients. Aside from people that have severe depression, um, do you think, and, and let's put aside the cost of it for a moment, yeah. um, I just, just for a second, let's just forget that for a moment. <laughs> um, do you think if everyone had access to it, do you think for everyone to live optimally, not just not have depression, but live at their optimum level, do you think that would be a great thing for everyone to do? 
I know I, I know I just there was a lot of caveats there, but yeah, just yeah. I'm, I'm trying to understand like would this actually be an uh, yes. amazing thing for everyone to do? For, not, for about ninety percent of the population, yes, ketamine at the doses and intervals and paired with psychotherapy, it makes your brain better, right? It makes right. your brain better. If you are aging and you're listening to this, um, our brains are shrinking. Age shrinks your brain. Ketamine by boosting BDNF can help you to reverse some of those effects, right? We want to make sure our brains stay big and beautiful and, and connected with new neurons and new neural pathways and challenging the brain. It helps people be more creative. It helps them connect with their why. Um, so yeah, if, if you don't have uh, a history of schizophrenia or psychosis or hypertension, 90, the other 90% of, of people could really benefit uh, from ketamine. Now, insurance is not going to pay for something that just makes right. you better, but it's also why, you know, the Silicon Valley types, uh, who, by the way, are super adopters of intermittent fasting and, you know, keto and right. all these things that they want to do to enhance their mitochondria and fasted workouts and, you know, whole coffee fruit extract, which can boost BDNF or the anti-aging supplements that can target things like AMPK or um, mTOR, right? If you're taking all these uh, biohackers are taking rapamycin uh, to target mTOR or now taking metformin um, yep. or using intermittent fasting or NMN. Urolithin. Urolithin is the latest one that everybody's taking, right? That yeah, that's supplement. Right yeah. Um, ketamine has a lot of those same effects. So if you are in that sort of optimization biohacking space and that's how you think, oh, those people love ketamine-assisted psychotherapy because they know that, yeah, this medicine is making their brain better. It is helping to anti-age their brain in a way. Right. We're going to have to do a whole other <laughs> podcast on just longevity because that's a, that's a whole other topic that yeah. I am personally obsessed with. I will say, I will use that obsessed word because I really am obsessed with not just longevity, but longevity with, you know, optimal brain health. And, yeah. you know, I feel like everything, I, every, not everything, but almost everything I do when it comes to a healthy lifestyle right now is for optimizing brain health and function and cognition and staying sharp and young. And of course, I'm also thinking about other things like bone health and heart health and all of that. But for yeah. me, the, the core focus, the number one, like the priority is brain function and just staying sharp and young. So yeah, we might have to have a whole other, a whole other conversation on that. <laughs> um, but th this is so, so, so fascinating though, like really, really incredible. And I am not surprised that you are on the forefront of this whole ketamine revolution going on. I, like I said, you, you've been, you've been a pioneer in so many ways and Again, not surprised that you are here as well. This was super, super informative. Okay, so I have one last question for you. So I know you know what it means to live a nutritious life and how I talk about how all of the pillars, stress, sleep, love, all of these things work together from a physiological and a behavioral way and empower one another, right? And so what would you say is your, what is your catalyst for all of these pillars of a nutritious life to get going? What is the catalyst or what is that thing that you do on a daily basis to put all of these pillars in motion? For me at the very, very root of who I am is just pure love. And when I 
connect with that pure love that I have. I love animals. We, uh, last year, you know, we, we've had, uh, we have our sweet little boy who we adopted from the South central LA pound. Uh, last year we, um, uh, fostered a little pup. Um, I know that for the life of me and my husband and our moms that more love equals more life for people. Right. And if you can connect with that in a simple way, and this is going to sound silly, but, um, our little, our little pup loves playing ball. He loves fetch yeah. he loves it so much. And so my husband and I, we play ball with him every single day. We set a timer. We know, you know, so how cute. much. So he cute. Also, he also takes NMN plus was Veritrol, uh, as do we for anti-aging. So <laughs> I love it. Are you serious? That's so, so good. Oh yeah. That's so good. And by the way, my late little pup, um, I don't know exactly how old he was, uh, but he followed um, a lot of the things that I eat, I would make him eat. So a lot of the supplements he ate, I'm guessing he lived to be 21. I had him for 17 years. Wow. He was probably four when I rescued him, somewhere around there. So he was like in his 20s. So I know that these patterns, the omega, all the things that I eat, the omega-3s that I put in their food, um, when, when we had two, uh, the turmeric, the, you know, the NMN, all the things that I do, he does. And, you know, so case in point, he lived to be um, into his 20s. Um, so more love and just seeing the joy from other people. And for me, when I know that if I can live longer, then I can give more love, that I can receive more love. And that to me, when some little part of, of my brain is saying, Oh, but maybe you do want that ice cream. You know, I, I also know that some other higher, deeper part of me just wants to love so much and so many more animals. You know, uh, our dream one day is to like have a little rescue uh, home for senior dogs who nobody else wants to take. And I know that oh, if I we just keep that. building this life and we live a long and healthy life and if we are able bodied for um, 50 more years, there's just going to be so much more love in, in the world. So that to me is my why. That's incredible. You are love and love more is your pillar of a nutritious life. I love yep. that you that you that you think about that starts your day each day. That's incredible. You are amazing. Thank you so much for being here. We are going to do it. We're going to need to do another one, like I said, specifically on longevity, because I could talk yeah. about that for a long time. Yeah. Um, anyway, though, so much fun having you on. Thank you. Thank you so much. And we will share in the show notes all the different amazing places to find you and where to get your book and all that great stuff. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thanks, everybody.